Our Father in heaven, it's presumptuous of us to think that we're going to invite you to be here when you're here already. We've invited you before. But we want you, please, to consider our need this morning of you, our need of your spirit, so that what we hear and what we experience and what we say and even what we think would bring honor and glory to you. It would change us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a strange place to start talking about ministry in Genesis 11, uh, 6. The context of Genesis 11, 6 is the Tower of Babel. And here were these uh, rebellious people getting together, and they said, we will build a tower. We will do this. Okay? But Genesis 11.6 gives us some insight into how God sees what happens when people get together, and as the text says, they speak the same language, and they're working together. What does your Bible say? Nothing can stop them, right? They'll be able to accomplish almost anything. Now, if that can happen for something bad, come on. If that can happen for something bad, don't you think it can really happen for something good? That when he, through his Holy Spirit, gives his blessing and his power with our working together with the same language, the same purpose, the same mindset to accomplish what he has asked us to do, and we know that his biddings are enablings, how can we fail? Amen. Amen. How can we fail? So part of our problem is that uh, we probably don't really believe, we probably don't, we have, we have fear, we have uh, other things that take our minds away. We, 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 and I say we because I'm including me. I, I, I don't know, it's like we're brain damaged. We oftentimes don't even, don't even think about letting the Holy Spirit do his work in us. And letting him uh, do what he can do so that we can do what we have to do. How often I've heard people say, and I've said it to myself, you know, I'm, I'm, we're doing God's work. <laughs> I tell you what, we can never do God's work. God does God's work. God gives me work to do and he gives you work to do. And what we should be faithful in doing is what God gives us to do not trying to do what he has to do. Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.21 For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Yes, we will have some suffering, and suffering has different ways of manifesting itself. You know, being... Uh, in the hospital late at night and wishing that I could go home and then getting a call from the ER there's somebody else who just came in and I need to go down and see him. I remember this happening one night. I had been covering uh, over the weekend and I had not been home all weekend. And who comes into the emergency room but a gentleman who calls himself Filthy McNasty. That's how he referred to himself, Filthy McNasty. At the beginning, he didn't want to talk to me. He was found in the park, and some of his cohorts had said that he had been coughing and he was sick. And so they alerted somebody, and that person called the ambulance, and they picked up this guy, and brought him in, filthy McNasty. 
I could have been home. But I had to take care of Filthy McNasty. As it turns out, he had an anaerobic pneumonia. And I had the privilege of trying to get his consent. You see, he had been drinking, too. And uh, he had made a little fire. And he had some burns on his body. And he had not had a bath, I don't know in how long. Would you call that suffering? I took care of this guy, and I called uh, the one number that he had. I called his niece, who was living somewhere in Northern California. And that's how I could get what his real name was. And she was just so sad because he hadn't been in touch with her for a long time. He just wandered away. I told her it seems as though he was living in the park. And she said, oh, what am I going to do? I told her I needed, some, I needed consent. She was the next of kin that he had told me. So got consent. And uh, I had to do a tracheal stick to get some sputum. And I had to explain this to him. But he wasn't really uh, with it. But he gave me his consent to do this. The next day when he woke up, he said he remembered me. I was the guy who stuck a needle in his throat. <laughs> uh, but he was thankful. And we asked him if we could shave him. And he said yes. And we asked him if we could cut his hair. And he said yes. And of course, he, he had the requisite bath. Okay. And uh, Filthy McNasty actually did well. And we set him up with social services. And he actually was a college graduate. And he had turns of events in his life. And, you know, everybody has a story. And we reunited him with his niece. And he promised he would do better. Was it worth one night of not having sleep and not seeing my family to work with Filthy McNasty? What do you think? Amen. 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 Is this the kind of suffering that we're called to do for Jesus? You know, as, as a physician, that just seems so small. I'm expected to do that. I'm expected to do that. What else is there? How about when I have to suffer because my opinion is not taken into account? How about that? Do you guys, maybe in Washington, they don't have that problem. <laughs> What happens when uh, the pastor and I don't agree? And after all, I am probably one of the highest tithe givers and supporters of things in the church. And the pastor and I don't agree. What do you think should happen here? Who should win that, uh, that little disagreement? Who should win? I would, I would assume that we all would say God should win out, right? And that I should be willing to humble myself. And the pastor should be willing. I'm pointing to you because you're the pastor, right? <laughs> okay, and the pastor should be willing to humble himself. And we come to some equitable agreement seeking God. How about that? Huh? And that we work together for the edification of the saints. Is, is that the kind of ministry you think God is calling us to? But you think that, do you think that we have to suffer through some of these things? <laughs> you bet. And I'll tell you, sometimes to give up your opinion 
And the pride that we have in our opinion because we think we are right, it's painful. We suffer. Yeah. But that's of our own making. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was told yesterday, I was talking to a friend from back, uh, he's in Texas, uh, yesterday evening. He gave me the sad story. They were doing a clinic, a clinic in a box in a part of Texas, and he, uh, they needed a dentist, and the dentist in this church uh, was very resistant to doing any of this stuff. And so my friend, who is a physician, he, he, he tried to press him on this. And he said the dentist's words were these. This stuff is all foolishness. It makes no sense to do this. And, he said, all it is is we're bringing a bunch of homeless people into the church. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? So, he didn't want to have a part of it. He did not sign up to give one afternoon of dental services. So my friend said he spoke to another dentist who is not a Seventh-day Adventist, a Christian man who has an interest in people. And that man volunteered. And they had a wonderful experience. And now the other dentist, he got the vision. Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. Jesus uses the idea of fishing and of sowing. How he does things. He calls us to be fishers of men. How did they fish in his day? Did they take a hook and line and one fish at a time? Is that what they did? No, no they did net fishing, right? And what do you do when you cast a net? You cast a wide net and you take in all kinds of stuff. Right? The good and the bad. Maybe some cans and bottles and some shoes too, right? <laughs> and then what do you do? You sort them out, you keep what is good, and what is bad is taken out. This is God's view of fishing. Should we have any different view? We should cast a wide net. And health ministry, understood in its broadest sense, Casts a wide net. Amen. And then we have the idea of sowing. Is it going and, you know, uh, I remember as a boy, uh, my dad teaching me how to plant uh, corn and peas, and we'd plant them together. And he'd say this, and then you do two steps, right? And you, right? And that's what we did, okay? Is that the kind of sowing that Jesus was talking about. No. It was taking the seed and scattering it. Right? You scatter the seeds. You broadcast. And he gives in the parable about some falling on good soil and you know, you know the story. Wide net scattering abroad. This is the kind of ministry we should emulate. Wide nets, scattering aboard. But the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Our dentist in Texas, while it was easy for me at the beginning when my friend was telling me, to say, what kind of guy is that? But for the grace of God, I am right where he is. I was uh, feeling really good about myself, about some of the things that we were doing. And I got this story. Uh, this, is, this is a real story. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, you, you, 
have one of these um, clinics and whatnot, and you go and you help people, and some of them are vagrants, and well, all right. There were some students in Southern California who decided, well, they had missed some of these uh, opportunities, and they wanted to do something. And they came up with the brilliant idea of going and ministering to the homeless, but they had no real skills. So you know what they did? They went and they cut hair and washed feet. Now, those of you who have been in the emergency room and you've seen homeless people come in, what kind of state are their feet in? Huh? You know, I wouldn't have thought of that as a ministry for me to do. And after I heard it, I felt ashamed. Am I willing, really willing to do this? Now, I'm not asking you. you. You notice that, right? I'm not asking you. Am I willing to do this? The thing is, if I am not willing to do this, I have a much bigger problem than I may imagine. And that's where working together comes in. Because somebody who is willing to do something encourages me to go along and do it too. Isn't that nice? And then I might be doing something and I encourage them. Hopefully we're, encouraged, we're encouraging each other in good things, not in bad things. So we encourage one another. And we work with one another. There are things that my wife can get me to do that other people cannot. <laughs> That's just how it is. There are things that some of my friends, uh, when they say, Zeno, uh, let's do such and such. I think about it seriously. But if other people tell me, I, I, I may just dismiss it. Just, no, I don't have time for that. But when my friends are saying, let's, let's, let's consider this. I have a few uh, friends that... We keep in touch uh, by text and telephone and Skype and, you know, these things. Just a few, uh, three people in particular. And we don't, we don't keep up every week or any such thing. But when these guys say, we're thinking about doing such and such, I take it very, very seriously. And we may have some vigorous discussion but it's very serious. These are Christian men. These are friends of mine, and they're not all physicians. Okay, just to be clear. And so we get each other involved in different kinds of projects and different things, and we even have done things together but apart in our own churches, and then compare results and things like that. It's exciting. But we're working together even though we're apart. Working together. Do we have to work together? What do you think? Huh? Well, comprehensive health ministry. This is a Christ-centered, grace-filled, people-focused, holistic ministry that is inclusive. It includes other people. It's not just for the health professionals. It's not just for doctors and dentists and nurses and dietitians and, and, and nutrition. It's not, it's not just that. It's, it's everybody is involved. In this, it's something, there's something here for everybody. Now, what is the sign that we are his disciples, Jesus' disciples? It's right up there. That we love one another. And this love for one another is very, very important. I would say it this way if we don't get this thing taken care of, we're not getting off of this planet alive. Okay? And I'm just touching the surface. I don't want to get into all the political issues and all of that stuff. But this is a really, really deep one. The combined work, it involves all of us. All of us. Not just the health professionals in the church. Not just those who go away and take a course in... Uh, Medical missionary work. No, it involves all of us. 
It involves all of me. You know, people ask me, especially in foreign countries, one of the things that people ask you is, what's your profession? In the United States, not so much. They'll ask you, like, what do you do, right? But in other countries, it's, what's your profession? Well, I've decided, actually I decided some time ago, I profess the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen. That usually gives them a little start. <laughs> if that isn't our profession, then what are we doing? Amen. Right? I profess our Lord Jesus Christ. Him crucified and risen, our risen Savior. Amen. He's alive and he's coming back to take us home. Amen. Okay? Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, you want to know how I earn a living? Ah, that's another story. Are you following me? What do you profess? How do you earn a living? Different issues. I've even looked at it from the point of view of, uh, of nouns and, and adjectives. Am I a Christian physician? Physician, noun, Christian, adjective. Or am I a physician Christian? Christian noun, physician, adjective. How we, how we visualize, how, how it is in our heads will make a difference. There are some friends that I have, they are definitely physician Christians. Their life is being a Christian. And I have some friends who are Christian physicians. Their life, their identity is because they're a physician. How about you? Now I'm getting personal. And you don't have to be a physician. You can fill it in with any kind of uh, uh, occupation that you have. Which one is the noun or which one is the adjective for you? How do you see it? Does it make a difference? Do you think it makes a difference? Yeah. You bet it will. Ponder it. The combined work involves all of you. Like all of you and all of you. All of you, all of us. Working together in ministry. This is what the combined work is about. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of love and compassion, rebuke of sin, courage, humility, reconciliation. He was father-dependent. He was educating people, teaching people, healing people, restoring hope, and teaching them in a way that would restore them. This shalom, all that is good. Why do we minister? Why? I have to ask myself, do I really love? Do I really love? I mean, yes, yes, I love. And, you know, um, I'm away from my wife uh, right now because I'm here and she's, she's there and I send her a note, I love you. And she sends me another note, I love you. And, and now with all these different uh, emojis and whatnot, we can do these hearts and, you know, it re it's really cute, it's really cute, <laughs> right? Uh, I love you, sweetheart. Yes, yes, yes. Do I really love my wife? Do I really love? And then we say and we sing, we love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do we really love Jesus? I mean, I am not kidding. This is a serious question. Do you really love Jesus? Is he, for you, everything? The first and last and best in everything. Is this how you see him? Is this how I see him? And we talk about the fact that God loves us. God is love. Isn't that right? God loves us. And we say, wonderful, but I'm going to tell you, God's love for us is not what gets us to heaven. And don't think that I'm saying something that's wrong. Hear me out. Who does God not love? He loves us all. 
Is everybody going to heaven? No. So God's love alone is not. Now, it's absolutely necessary, but it's not sufficient. You know what makes it sufficient? Our love for him. So do you really love God? Now, I don't want you, please, to think that at the end of today, you meet me in the hallway and you say, oh, Dr. Zeno, that was a, a powerful message or something like that. I, I, I can't imagine anybody telling Jesus after he gave the Sermon on the Mount, that was a powerful message, man. <laughs> I think they had to inspect themselves and grapple with what he was saying. And I hope that's what you're going to do. Grapple with what we're talking about. And this is not just for you, it's for me too. We're all in this, together. Even though God deals with us individually as well. Do I really love Jesus? Do I really love Jesus? Do I really love people? Because he says that we should love people. We should love what he loves and hate what he hates. Isn't that what he says? Do we really, really, really do this? This is hard stuff. And this is part of what makes you know, the, the, the gap between our, our talking about ministry and health ministry and whatnot and the practice of our profession, whatever that profession might be. And actually, having that work that we do be a ministry because we love God and we love people. A true Christian follows Jesus' example of how we are to live, love everybody, including your enemies. This is what he said. Give what you can, be there for those in need, and never shun someone because they don't believe. This I got from the internet. And I thought it was worthwhile to share with you. That's what the Christian life is about. Now, health ministry is supposed to be a most effective work. We're supposed to have a passion to share the power of Christ, His Word and prayer, as the only agents of permanent change. There is nothing else that produces permanent change. Nothing else. It doesn't matter which journal I read, I find nothing that tells me that this produces permanent change. In all of the years that I've been working with behavior change and lifestyle medicine and internal medicine and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, people say yes, 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 just like I say yes, 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 but without the power of God, it's no, no, no. Ropes of sand, huh? Recognize that it's a process, not an event, and we commit to building long-term relationships. When we work with people, we're not just event-oriented. I meet you now, and that's the end of that, right? So this combined work, this, this complete work, this comprehensive health ministry is not a, you know, get in there and just do this. It's, it's not some uh, special secret agent uh, <laughs> episode. We get in and we do this stuff and we get back out. Mission impossible. No, no, no. It's not that. It's sticking with it. Being there. Through thick and thin. And as one person says, through sick and sin. We love people more than we love the health message. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. This is an issue. We should store up for ourselves treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. For a long while, I used to wonder about that. It seems as though all my earthly treasures, money and things like that, they would go to the church, and maybe the church is not heaven. You see, I came from a Catholic background, and I didn't think the church was heaven at all. Okay? And then, I was enlightened through reading and studying and pondering this. 
who goes to heaven or what goes to heaven? People. <laughs> Could it be that simple? Where are we going to invest? We invest in people. We invest in people. This is what's going to constitute heaven. People. And of course, angels and God. And, you know, but people, that's who's going to heaven. And we need to love people more than we love even the health message. Yes. We must offer accurate, evidence-based health programming information. It must be accurate, evidence-based health programming information. It must be accurate. <laughs> Not just, you know... You know, I go on the internet and I find something, some fly-by-night kind of thing, and the next thing you know, this is what I'm talking about. It sounds sensational. People say, man, that is real, right? And the next thing you know, everybody has to... I, I, I got invited to a church. Uh, this was many years ago. Um, uh, a church in, in Chicago. And <laughs> we had... Uh, we were there for the whole weekend, and uh, the Sabbath afternoon, we had a... a uh, a program of uh, questions and answers and things like that. And somebody asked me the question, and I'm going to tell you the, the product. Somebody asked me the question about barley green. Okay? Anybody here remembers the barley green craze? Okay, good. Well, it was during that era, somebody asked me about barley green. And I said, well, let me tell you about the greens <laughs> of barley. <laughs> okay? You know, you can take barley, and you can sprout the barley, and what you have is the sprouted barley, which is what makes barley green, okay? So you don't have, if you believe that it has all these, uh, you know, health and medicinal uh, properties, then sprout your barley. How does that sound? Does it sound reasonable? I said, sprout your barley. Let me tell you, I was taken to task because there was a woman in that church her living was made from barley green. And one of the elders came and told me, I, I need to go back and apologize. The woman was crying because she, she, I was taking away her business. I don't know why somebody asked me that question. <laughs> I wasn't intending to talk about barley green. I, that's just, uh, that just happened. I don't know if there's anybody here who sells barley green. I don't know that. So please forgive me. <laughs> All right? But we're not, we're not just about, about doing this kind of, of business. I went to a, a meeting with uh, George Malkmus. I went... And I heard him speak. And he was talking about barley green. And then he gave a secret. He said, you know, I don't tell too many people about this, but I don't need to have breakfast. All I need is two scoops of barley green. and some No breakfast. Barley green will take care of it. Is this what we have as a comprehensive health ministry in our church. Two scoops of barley green in the morning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, anyway, I don't want to get off on that. All right, the influence of the Holy Spirit is needed that the work may be properly balanced. See, we need balanced work, right? And that it may move forward solidly in every line. And this balance is not just balance within health, it's balance with all of the other ministries that we have as a church, right? And the central focus, thank you very much, Pastor, for, for talking about that. The central is evangelism, and you'll see that uh, coming out as we go a little bit further. The Holy Spirit sends the message home. He uses the gospel ministry, medical missionary work, and the publications containing present truth to impress hearts. All are made effectual by means of faith. As the truth is heard or read, the Holy Spirit sends it home to those who hear and read with an earnest desire to know what is right. Okay? 
And if that happens to the people that we talk to, it should happen to us first. <laughs> right? We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine these things. We need to pray about it before we get up in public and start you know, saying that this is the next best thing to slice bread. Right? So, with all these things, what am I afraid of? Ladies and gentlemen, are you afraid of failing? What do you think? Well, maybe I shouldn't ask you. What do you think the person next to you is afraid of? <laughs> huh? We're oftentimes afraid of failing. We don't want to go out there on a limb and then things don't work. But we have to be of good courage. What we think is a failure may not be. May not be at all. I've been to places where the number of people who show up for a meeting or whatever, three or four people. And I always recur on that statement. When two or three, right? <laughs> two or three are gathered in my name, who's there? Jesus is there, right? I don't know how large that group was that uh, was, was there when Stephen was giving his testimony. I don't know how large that group was. The size of the group didn't matter. Who was in the group mattered because Paul was in that group. So two or three people come. I don't know which one of them is Paul. But you scatter widely. What am I afraid of losing? Control? In one field, they were telling me, we have a problem. We've been training our lay people in medical missionary work. And the health professionals are against it. Now, let me say this. I want to be clear. There are some things that we ought to be against. But the equipping of the saints to do basic so-called medical missionary work, what's the problem with that? When I went to investigate what I found out, it was control. It was a control issue. The health professionals, they were to be in charge. And now you have people who are not licensed, who are going out there <laughs> and massaging people and bringing them to the church. <laughs> how, I mean, how terrible, you know? <laughs> massaging them and bringing them to the church. What kind of stuff is that? Going to the mall and telling people and giving out tracts and, and whatnot and, and bringing them to the church. And you are supposed to be the health leader and you're not doing that. And so what, do you, what do you think? What are you afraid of? What I'm afraid of discovering. Now, these are, these are questions that I ask of myself, and I'm just sharing them with you. <laughs> Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes I'm afraid of discovering the truth. What really is going on? What's really in my heart? why, what my motivations really are. But God wants us to discover. He wants us to have self-examination and self-discovery. But more importantly than that, he wants us to discover him, discover his truth. Because to know him is life eternal. That's what he says. So for spiritual service, we have uh, some things that are implicit and we have some things that are explicit. And uh, please think about this. In Matthew 7, Matthew 25, Isaiah 58, we all have, uh, in these texts, we have issues of implicit things and explicit. And let me, let me unpack that for you. There is something in here for everybody in the church to do. Everybody in the church. There is no person in the church who cannot be involved. Even a newborn baby. Who can resist the cooing of a newborn baby? Who? Right? Now, if they're crying and making a lot of noise, well, then they get a lot of attention. <laughs> right? 
Well, who can resist a newborn baby? So you have your newborn baby, and people come and say, oh, it's the cutest, the cutest. And you start up a conversation. Hey, there's something for everybody, okay? Now, how does this look? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's the thing. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now, is prophesying in God's name a good thing, yes or no? Yes. Do you, do you see this as spiritually uh, rich thing to prophesy in God's name? Yes. yes. Okay. Next, cast out demons. How many of you have been casting out demons lately? I don't see any hands. Do you think this is a spiritually uh, empowered gift that people have? Yes, to cast out demons. Here, they've been doing that in his name and have done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine people doing all of these very powerful spiritual things? And Jesus saying, I never knew you. Why would he say something like that? Why? Because these people were not really in tune with what Jesus was about. They were not in tune with him. They were not in step with him. They were not obedient to what he was about. And so even though they were doing these things, so spiritually, uh, you know, powerful, they were of not any benefit to them. I would assume that it would be of benefit to the people who receive those blessings. But now let's look at another list. Then the king shall say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Now does that sound like a spiritually, uh, you know, high class activity? I was hungry and you gave me food. What do you think, Pastor? Is that, is that like the top of the line? <laughs> it's important, but not, you know what I mean? Uh, somebody who casts out demons, now, what are you thinking about that person, huh? That, that person really, really in touch, right? Giving food? Huh, food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. What do you guys think? Give me something to drink? Simple, simple. Anybody can do that, Right? I was a stranger and you took me in. Ah, now we're getting a little bit more. Huh? And I am very thankful to the Gee family <laughs> because I was a stranger and they took me in. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you the drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Is there a work for anyone in the church? Yes, we all can do this. We all can do this. So, here's a little schematic. I'm probably going to improve on it uh, as time goes on. On this side, we have things that require maybe some general training, no license required. Everyone can do this, including licensed professionals. And I put that in on purpose. Because sometimes, licensed professionals believe that the only thing that they can do is what they have a license to do. Wrong. We can do what anybody else can do too, right? Okay, so here we are. So that's on this side. And on this side, we have things that require special training, license required, only licensed practitioners permitted to do. And guess what? Those who are licensed to do it, those who are professional, they can do that. So we have an entire continuum here. And the, the beautiful thing in our church, the way God set it up, and the pastor talked about it uh, yesterday and today, is that we have the privilege of being able to equip one another. So that we all can be actively involved in ministry, all of us. And this is, is the big view of the combined work of comprehensive health ministry, that we all can do something. But it starts off with the idea. 
do I really, really love Jesus? And do I really love people? If we really love Jesus and we really love people, we will see opportunities just bubbling out through the floor. Look, I have some ideas here. Implicit things. Feed the hungry. Water the thirsty. Visit the sick. Friend to the... Does that sound like it's difficult stuff to do? Are you going to do it continuously? You're going to do it one Sabbath afternoon and then that's the end of that, right? How many have been involved in that kind of activity in your church? You go out one Sabbath afternoon, you come back in, you have a little kumbaya session, right? <laughs> and you say, this was really good. We should do it again. And another year goes by, and then somebody says, let's do it. Usually the young people say something like, let's go out, right? Okay. Clothe the naked. How much clothes do you have in your, in your wardrobe that you haven't used in the last year that somebody else really can use? I mean, think about that. You don't have to make any fanfare. You don't, you, you don't have to make it a big deal. If there's a thrift store somewhere, okay, just quietly go and donate it. Or keep it in the car, keep some things in the car. And I, I am sure there are homeless people in Spokane. Make somebody's day. Give them something. Educate, teach, empower, encourage one another. Awaken the spirit of inquiry. Let people ask the question, why are you doing this? Ah, it's because I love you. You love me? How could you love me? You don't know me. Ah, but I love Jesus and he loves you. That's a different story. Some of the explicit things that we do in health ministry, cooking schools, uh, healthy shopping classes, smoking cessation, alcohol and drug recovery, marriage and family seminars, exercise aerobics club, ask the doctor, uh, small group uh, health things, and first aid, for, uh, what was this? First responder, I suppose we first, not fifth responder. First responder. <laughs> fifth responder. <laughs> uh, okay. And then there's some things that are entrepreneurial. In other words, it, it doesn't have to be costly, and it doesn't have to be something that everybody has to donate into. There are some things that can work for themselves. For instance, how about a food bank and food distribution? Well, you might say, but you know, you go to uh, the supermarkets and you say, look, we're starting a food bank. for, da -da -da -da. And they have foods that, that are about to expire, and you distribute it to the people who need it. What does it take from you? Some thought, some organization, some investment in time. How about uh, a juice bar, a sandwich shop? There were some guys, young guys in, in uh, Atlanta. They decided they wanted to be involved in health ministry. They didn't have much skill or anything like that. So they started making juice. And it was really interesting because they couldn't get a place to put a juice bar. They were promised a place, but they couldn't rent it. So one of them decided, okay, by the time that place gets, uh, it's free for us to be able to rent it, and we, we're going to rent it. Let's do some marketing. So you know what they did? They made juice, and they took it to the office buildings, and they told them, we're going to be opening a place down here. We want you to test the juice, see if it's something that you like, give us some feedback, and we'll alter it. Anyway, they were, they were known by the big office buildings all around because they'd bring them fresh juice, okay? And then the folks would give their feedback, and right? So now they had a set of juices. When they opened their juice bar, it was an immediate success. And these young people were giving tracts <laughs> and giving seminars on health and healing and Bible studies out of a juice bar. Homeless shelter, like the Pacific Garden Mission, daycare, orphan home, foster care, elder care, home health aid, uh, new mommy and baby care, new immigrant services, 
tutoring, we may not have much of that uh, in a while. Anyway, tutoring, homework helper, language literacy, disaster preparedness, we have all, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. We can, we can develop, all it takes is somebody to think about what's a need around here, and let's see if we can do something about it. And if you have two or three people who are getting together to say, let's do it, it, it works even better, right? You have encouragement, you have some momentum, uh, you put it together. Medical missionary work is in no case to be divorced, however, from the, what's that? Gospel ministry. The Lord has specified that the two shall be closely connected as the arm is with the body. Without this union, neither part of the work is complete. The medical missionary work is the gospel in illustration. That's the bottom line there. Combined work. Working together finding ways to reach people because we desire their good, mingling with them, gain their confidence, and then disciple them. The gospel of health is to be firmly linked with the ministry of the word. It is the Lord's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be a part of the last great effort to proclaim the gospel message. Amen. The programs are not to be godless. There are many godless behavior change programs. You know that. Uh, some of these slides were given to me by uh, Fred Harding, and I made a few adjustments to them. This is one of those. The goal of our programs must be to introduce people to the only power that can effect permanent change. The most skillful and perceptive scientists cannot bring the dead to life. But the word of God can. Amen. Right? Only the gospel brings the dead to life. To arouse those spiritually dead, to create new tastes, new motives, requires a great outlay of power, uh, as great an outlay of power as to raise one from physical death. It is indeed giving life to the dead to convert the sinner from the error of his ways but our Deliverer is able to do this. Amen. He did it with me. Amen. I am a living testimony, and so are you. We pass from death to life. Amen. And we have the privilege of sharing that with other people. And the talents and the gifts and the degrees and the licenses and all of these things shouldn't be obstacles but rather should be facilitators of being able to reach people where they are. We should share Jesus as the only effective agent of change. Amen. But we don't have to go around beating people over their heads with the Bible. And at the same time that I'm talking about that, there is no issue of righteousness by vegetarianism. No righteousness by exercise. No righteousness by veggie burger. Or even righteousness by haystack. <laughs> it doesn't exist. All right? There's only righteousness by faith. This is not a works-related issue. It's a grace-related issue. Jesus is the only effective agent of change. And people will discover this if we let them, if we mingle with them. And if we have been recipients of his grace, we become infectious agents. And sometimes we have to talk. Sometimes. Now, in our practices and in our our clinics and our offices. Spiritual malpractice is negligence. By act of omission, by a Christian who fails to share the availability of God's power to change and heal, thereby causing continuing pain, injury, and eventual eternal death. We have something to offer people because we have received something special. Not because we are special, but because God thinks that they are special. He has given this to us, 
not just so that we live longer. Ellen White says we were given the health message. Part of the reason is because we have work to do. People were dying at the age of 48. <laughs> the health message was to help people to live longer so they could work for the kingdom. So this extra few years of life that we might get, when you look at the Adventist health studies, it's not just to say, oh, look at us. <laughs> no. It's not just to say, look at us. It's to say, why are these people living longer? It's to awaken the spirit of inquiry. How come these people are doing this? We should ever remember that the object of the medical missionary work is to point sin-sick men and women to the man of Calvary who takes away the sin of the world. We need to have that in our minds firmly. Now, it's not the kind of thing that you put up as the mission statement in your hospital or your clinic. It, it may not go over too well, right? Uh, your reason for being here, and my reason for being here too, is so that you and your sin-sick self, right? No, we don't do that. We don't do that. But we understand. You know, we have a problem. We all have a problem. The problem is sin. We're all broken. We're in need of God's healing power. We're in need of this shalom. And we can be agents of reconciliation, agents of, of hope, agents of healing, of shalom to others. We should focus on building long-term relationships, not this, you know, fly by night, get in there and get out, right? Health ministry is a process. We should recognize that health ministry is a process. It's not an event. It must have structured follow-up activities. Amen. If you don't follow up, you lose out. As a matter of fact, you may turn some people off. They will not want to hear it again. God's word and prayer are the only ways to bring about permanent transformation in lives. Love people more than even the health principles. Meet them where they are. We don't make the health reform an iron bedstead, cutting people off or stretching them out to fit it. One person cannot be a standard for everybody else. What we want is a little sprinkling of good common sense. Does that make sense to you? You know who wrote this? Ellen White. Okay. Don't be extremists. If you err, it would be better to err on the side of the people than on the side where you cannot reach them. But when men advocate reform and carry the matter to extremes and are inconsistent in their course of action, men and women are not to blame if they do become disgusted with the health reform. And this, unfortunately, has gone on for years. People have become disgusted. They don't want to hear too much more about health. It's, it's, you know, I've been beaten up enough by it. That's what people say. We have to show them the grace-filled ministry of Jesus Christ. These men are doing the work which Satan loves to see go on. I didn't say that. Helen White did. Let them find out what constitutes true health reform and teach its principles both by precept and by a quiet, consistent example. Emphasis on quiet and consistent. Right? Quiet and consistent. There are some people who chase folks away from God and from the church because they're not quiet and they're not consistent and they bludgeon other people with what they have struggled with. I didn't mean it that way just for me. It's what the Bible says. You know what we find best to judge in other people? What's wrong with us ourselves? Sell only information. <laughs> Sell only information. Okay? Avoid conflict of interest. Here's a sad story. You know the story of, uh, of greed. Naaman, wonderful story, but it has a sad chapter. Who was the protagonist in this sad chapter? Gehazi, right? His greed equals conflict of interest. 
Temptation to sell something to the vulnerable and personally profit is something we have to guard against. And if we love one another, if we're friends with one another, we would help one another to protect one another from going this route. Please. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. This is the issue that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And of course, it should be based on sound science as we know it, as we know it. Three vital standards. First, anything that we're doing should be consistent with the Bible. Amen. Okay? Next, it should be supported by Ellen White to the extent that Ellen White spoke about that thing. Right? There are some things that she never spoke about. And then, of course, it should be evidence-based, peer-reviewed information consistent with the biblical worldview. Now, not everything is peer-reviewed. Not everything is evidence-based. As a matter of fact, the way things are going with the evidence-based uh, medicine right now, we may have to alter this statement because uh, <laughs> they're only looking at evidences for certain things. Okay? And that's what the literature becomes uh, filled with. So, there's a caveat there. If they see... Read that. If they see that we're intelligent with regard to health, they will be more ready to believe that we are sound in what? Biblical doctrines. That's why it's called the entering wedge. But ultimately, when they see that we work together in harmony and we love one another, they will say, those people belong to Jesus. So, let's move forward together with Jesus, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and with each other in unity. And I have a few examples. It's not exhaustive. Imagine, imagine with me, pastors and healthcare workers working together in harmony. Imagine that. Don't let it be a fleeting thought. Have it linger. For the healthcare workers here, think of a pastor. And pray and work with that person. If you're a pastor here, think of some healthcare worker in your church. Make an effort to team up with that person. God wants to see it happen. Let's make his day. Huh? How about this one? Young and old working together. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Huh? Oh, that, that statement about having uh, children's church. <laughs> no, 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 no. What are we doing? Young and old working together. The old folk, like me, and I'm getting older every day, just like you. <laughs> well, the old folk, we sometimes bring wisdom, we bring perspective, we bring caution, right? And the young people, what do they bring? Energy, vitality, vision. They take risk. When we work together, wow. It's wonderful. They would even get me to jump off over a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about this one? The licensed individual with the non-licensed individual. How about that, huh? That we don't despise one another. I remember being in one, in one uh, uh, situation where they said, oh, he's a doctor. He's, all, he's sold out to the drug companies. <laughs> that was how they, they, they looked at me. He's a doctor. He's sold out to the drug companies. <sighs> yeah, I, I thought that was, that's a sad statement. <sighs> but then there are some doctors who, who look at, you know, health reforming, lay people in the church as quacks. You know, they, 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 they're trying to practice medicine. Why don't they go to medical school? Have you heard that? How about coming together and saying, here's a reasonable thing. Here's how we can work together. How about male and female? 
How about disciples with disciples using our varied gifts and talents? How about that? Does that sound like a biblical statement? So, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What does it say? Go. Teach. Make disciples. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.